salvation in the name of Jesus only, or is there another way? Let's talk about it today on the Weekly Kingdom Outlook. Greetings, folks. Apostle Lewis here with you, and I'm going to share a, um, a topic that shouldn't be controversial if we believe in God, the Scriptures, Jesus, but I want to keep people from being deceived, and I also want to call all of my uh, let's say, Jewish friends out there that you might catch this and watch this. And I want you to know that I love you enough to say this uh, truthfully, not to stone or not to throw any uh, harm your way, but because I truly love people and want them to see them be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, I will speak what I believe to be the truth, and you might disagree with it, you might argue with it, but I'm going to use Scripture to make my case, and and then um, we'll talk. We can have a conversation about it. Um, before I get started, uh, go ahead and uh, if you'd like to, I would love for you to subscribe. You might be watching us on YouTube or Rumble or Facebook. Like the pages, subscribe to the channel, and if you could, uh, maybe give a comment. Remember, keep your comments clean. Keep them constructive. You know, personal attacks don't work. You just get, you know, I have guys who just go through my stuff and they kick you off of it because I just don't think it's it's part of the discussion. And, you know, once you have to lower yourself to name calling, then I feel like you've lost the argument and I don't have time for it. Um, you know, um, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, well, really about 20 years ago, um, I, I was listening to a preacher, very well-known preacher, and he had this, he has this love for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. I think he has it more out of the fact that he thinks he's going to get points with God, maybe. But um, he was basically teaching that um, the Christians, we have one covenant called the New Covenant, and the Jews have an Old Covenant. And I'm going to just show you that that's completely false of why there is no more old covenant um, and how God has shifted to the new covenant. And he didn't. And before I even get going with this, I want you to understand and everything I'm going to read to you was, you know, to the Jews. It wasn't to the Gentiles. It wasn't to um, me. It was to you. And I have been grafted in with the Jewish believers. They have not been grafted in with me. So if a Jewish believer comes to Christ in Romans 11, it says they are grafted back in to where they should have been. But me, I'm a wild, you know, called a wild olive branch by nature. And I have been grafted into this beautiful vine, Jesus Christ and Israel and to the true Israel of God. And uh, I, I want you to understand this and very important to understand this. Very, very important to understand this, that I am not trying to pull Jewish people over to a Gentile faith. I'm actually trying to call out to Jewish people to uh, get in the faith of uh, Abraham and, uh, and get the righteousness of Abraham. Now, what I do not think Jews have to do is become Gentiles. Okay, I think if you're Jewish and you have customs and traditions, keep them. But your faith has to be in Jesus, and I'm going to show that in Scripture. And and and, and the reason I want to do that is because um, I don't want you to go to hell. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm pro-Semitic. 
Um, I, I want to see everyone who hears my voice come to Christ, come to Jesus, surrender your life to him, surrender your life. He'll take your sins. He'll take, you know, he'll take the good, the bad and the ugly of you and he'll wash you in his own blood and he will make you his own. And um, so I, I want you to see this now. I'm not going to go through all the things that Jesus said that would take quite a while, but Jesus did call himself the son of man, which is speaking of Daniel seven. And so once Jesus said he was a son of man, it meant that he could receive worship, a kingdom and honor and glory, the same as the father, like to that level as deity. Uh, I just preached a message this last Sunday. You can go see it on the gatejacks.com or on the gate Facebook page, gate YouTube channel and you could get it there and you will see uh or go to you know like we have our gate church of jacksonville app you can get and uh you could see it on there and why is that important because i just talked about the humanity of christ like understanding the humanity of christ is important as much as understanding his deity because if he didn't come in human form and if he didn't lay down his deity, he could never be tempted because God is not neither tempts nor can God be tempted. So Jesus being God, if he doesn't lay down his deity, he can never be tempted as we are tempted in all things. And he, he cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. OK, so I go watch that message because that's important to understand that why he had to lay down his deity. And sometimes Christians have a tough time with this one. Oh, he's the son of God. Yeah, he was, but he laid down that right of his deity to come in human. He had to, to put on human flesh. The two are not compatible. He had to lay down his deity to come in human flesh. Um, and so it's very, very important. Okay. Um, so, anyways, his deity, Jesus would never have asked questions like the woman with the issue of blood who touched me. He would never ask that question. He would never ask of the boy who had epileptic fits and threw himself in the fire. He would never ask the father, how long has he been doing this? Because as deity, operating in his deity, operating as God, he would know all these things. But uh, that boy was born. Listen, that boy was born after Jesus came in Mary. So from that moment, he is not operating in the knowing of all things. Okay. He has to do everything the same way we do through the Holy Spirit. That's for, that's for a different topic. Uh, go again, watch that message to understand that he is showing us how to live out our life. Not just that he did multiple things when he was here on the earth and not just one, he did multiple things. He was a multitasker of immense proportion and everything he did had eternal consequences. Um, but let's start with, and, and we'll jump around some scripture. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, we're going to jump around a little scripture. We're just going to start, um, you know, in Acts chapter four, this is Peter standing bef before, um, the Sanhedrin and being questioned and, and Peter gives his whole discourse on this. But then he says this in verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, those are very commanding words. Now, here's a Jewish man, Peter, who says, look, we're telling you what we know. This Jesus, number one, is resurrected. You crucified him, but he is resurrected. And it says that in verse 10, let it be known to all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands uh, here before you whole. 
This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And we, I want you to understand that the church was within the Jewish community for about 10 years or so before it gets out of that. It's, um, if you, you understand that, like, yes, Cornelius' house comes in. Cornelius' house comes in after Paul gets saved, but before Paul goes out on his mission trips. But what's amazing about um, that, Acts chapter 9 and to Acts chapter 15 is 17 years. Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians um, uh, 1. He says he first tripped to Jerusalem was after three years of being converted. He goes and meets uh, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. And then he comes back 14 years later and meets the whole council. And that's at Acts 15. So it's 17 years, pretty, pretty long period of time. So um, I, I want you to uh, timelines are important if you think about them and, and, and figure them out a little bit. But Peter makes this bold statement. This is, you understand, this is an amazing statement. Um, the law was never going to bring about what faith was to do. In other words, uh, you were never going to be made perfect by the law. Paul explains, that's why people don't like Paul. But let's let's look at um, some scriptures. And, and I've got them pulled up on my computer because i got several minutes quicker for me than turning the pages in the Bible. And I think we could do this a little bit quicker if we do that way. And the next verse I want to look at is Jeremiah 31, 31. Now, you might know this one, but I want you to hear what it says because it's important to listen to what's saying. Now, from the beginning, we'll even go to a different verse, Jeremiah 3, 8. Let's start there. Um, and then we'll come back to Jeremiah 31. I want you to understand if you read Ezekiel, read Jeremiah, read Isaiah, Israel has departed from the faith. Israel, when you look at kings, they they departed from the relationship with God, turned to other. When it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, they had committed spiritual adultery. And it's very graphic, and um, and we'll see it here again. It's going to even say it and here in Jeremiah 3. It says, then I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery. I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Then the Lord said to me, backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. It's a pretty, this is not, um, this is by no means the, um wonderful uh statements of Jesus. Okay, I mean I, I want us to understand that these are very, very graphic um statements that the Lord gives. Um and and in pretense means they were doing it to deceive. They were they were they were they were actually um, they would turn to God to just try to deceive him. It's really dark. It's like really dark. And so now let's go back to Jeremiah 31. And God has a solution for this. And it's it's not the solution that um, that you would think he chose, but he's going to end the old covenant. He's pronouncing it here. And it's not ending the old covenant 
as in cutting off Israel. He's actually ending the old covenant and creating a better, a greater covenant. One that can bring about the results of righteous, true righteousness in him. One that can give him a new heart. I heard I heard Dennis Prager, I think it's Prager U, and he said the law didn't concern the heart. Well, Dennis Prager is absolutely wrong because the law says this, thou shalt not covet its neighbor's wife, lust after the things of your neighbor. Okay, that's the heart. That's why Paul says in, in Romans 7, he says, as far as the law is blameless until I got to thou shalt not covet, because I didn't do the nine things, but I couldn't deal with my heart on the tenth. And, and that's what I want you to understand is like the law never made us perfect. Now, I want you to know this, and I'm not going to get into all this for maybe for another video. But Paul did not destroy the law, neither did Jesus. They did away with the law for righteousness sake. All the things you had to do in the law that were to make you clean and make you righteous, he did away with. Now, it doesn't mean that you get to do certain things today, like sexual immorality is still sexual immorality. That's why James and the apostles in 15 tell them to refrain from drinking, you know, eating meat strangled in its blood and uh, sorcery and all that. And But it also has sexual immorality because there are still things that make you unclean. But Jesus said, what you eat doesn't make you unclean because it goes in the body and out. Okay. And there was, they had all these rules. Okay. And they were meant to have them because of transgressions. All right. Now, let's read this. Verse 31, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, we saw that they both broke it. He gave Israel a certificate of divorce. He gave Jerusalem a certificate of divorce. And But he's got a, he, there's, there's a purpose in what he's doing. And I'm going to explain this as I go on. Why Jesus gave a divorce letter. And then I'm going to show you something maybe you never looked at in the scriptures before. Not according to covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Now, underline husband in your Bible. Very important. These things are not um, uh, said in a manner that you should not pay attention to them. You should um, really, really pay attention to these things. Okay. Really, really pay attention to them. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know, it, it, it's really powerful and, and we can get into that. I could stay in this passage for an hour and we're not going to do that. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. Now, what does he mean that all shall know me? It's just in, in the law, most of the Jews didn't know God. They didn't talk to God. They didn't get direct communication back from God. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. They didn't have the fellowship of the Spirit. They, they lacked things that we get to experience in the New Testament, the intimacy with Christ. Now, Samuel had it to a degree. David had it to a degree. 
But David, Samuel, Moses, all of them looked for, says this in Hebrews, looked for our day. They wanted to, they wanted to look into and touch and be a part of the things that they saw in the Spirit. And that's really important to understand. God didn't make a new covenant with the Gentiles. Okay. Um, he made a new covenant with the Jews. Okay. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I want you to see that because that's vitally important because Christians sometimes think that, you know, God, you know, uh, that this is a covenant to the Gentiles or that we're better than the Jews. And we are not better than the Jewish people. We're not worse than Jewish people. We have all sinned and gone astray. And Christ is redeeming us all if we give our life to him. Now, listen to what Jesus says about Jerusalem in Matthew 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It's a very, very, because remember, Jesus is the husband here. Jesus is the husband. He's calling Israel to himself. He says this in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what you might not know is those are three entrances, uh, the three doorways, or say entrances, into the most holy place. Let me explain. The way is the into the outer court where the bronze and labor is. The, the Truth was the screen door between the labor and the holy place. And the and the life was behind the veil. So Jesus is saying, Look, I know I gave you this type, and it was the it was the covenant, the ark of the co or the tabernacle of Moses. It was a type and a shadow of me. I am the way, the truth, and life, which means you come to me at the cross. I wash you in my own blood. You get baptized into Christ. I fill you with the Spirit. And my goal. Jesus, my goal, this Jesus say, my goal is to bring you all the way into myself on the throne at the right hand of the Father. This is what Jesus desires to do for you and I. He desires to bring, I will go, listen to what he says in, in uh, well, let's just go back. He says this, and let's go back to chapter 14 a little bit here. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's not enough to believe in God. The demons believe in God and they tremble. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, he is not preparing you a home in glory land like you think. Like I, I, I've had people tell me, oh, I got God up in this vision and and uh, me and my family were on a home and it was glorious. And I go, well, that's not heaven. And they go, what do you mean it's not heaven? That was heaven on earth. You go, what do you mean heaven on earth? Because when you're up in heaven, number one, you're not married nor are you given in marriage. Two, what are you doing in a house when Jesus is on the throne? Like, you're, you know, what are you doing? What are you going to do in a house? Like, I want to ask these Christians who say this stuff really, really confound me because I'm like, why do you have a house now? Well, you have a house for safety, for rest, for peace, for family. You're not going to need that in heaven. We're going to be before the throne. Where we'll have safety and we'll have peace and we'll have family, and He will be the one we look at. He'll be. I, our, we're not. We're gonna be like the angels. Our bodies aren't gonna, especially when we put on our incorruptible. But even you know when our spirits are sold up there, you know before the resurrection, we're not gonna be up there going, "Man, I'm exhausted. I, I gotta go lay down for a while." Your body is what gets exhausted now. Um, I, I just sometimes Christians don't think. 
And, you know, of course, I always say this is the American gospel where we have to sell you property in heaven for you to receive Jesus. That's the, that's the, that to me is the prosperity gospel. We have to dangle hundreds out of our Bible for you to read it. You know, we have to have some kind of like benefit to you. Like you won't read it because it's the word of God. But, you know, if it can get you wealth, then hey, I'll read it. I don't mind getting wealthy. I'm just saying that that's not the right motivation. He says this, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where is he? He's at the right hand of God. How will he come and receive us? He'll meet us at his cross. That's what he does. He, he, he comes and, and he comes again and received me to himself at the cross and walked me through. Got me baptized in him. He was there. Got me filled with his spirit. He was there. He walks me through the holy place and brings me unto the Father. I don't have time to get into all that, but that happens. That where I am, there you may be also. Paul said, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. This is stunning. So the way, look, there is no other name. John wrote in, in the gospel, said this. He came to his own, his own received them not. I'm not shocked by that. Um, I, I used to be a very, very prideful person. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked by that at all. Unfortunately, I wish I was, but I'm, I'm really not. You know, it's, 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 really, it's really a sad confession that I can sit here and say to you, I'm not shocked. But it, it is true, and I have to be honest with you. Now, let me take you to a passage of Scripture and explain the death of Christ's importance when it's dealing with covenants. Okay, verse seven. Uh, sorry, chapter seven, ver verse one of Romans. Let's let's look at this together. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, that's long enough. Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law. Speaking to those. Look, I'm speaking to those who know the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband lives, she marries another man. She will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that there is she, she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear uh, fruit to God. Now, let me, let, me, let me explain this. Remember, Jesus was a husband to Israel and to Jerusalem. He was a husband to them. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I gave you a covenant, and, and you committed adultery. Even though I was a husband to you, you turned away from me. Listen to me. It's not enough for you to die. Jesus had to die. Remember, if the wife dies, she doesn't marry another. But if the husband dies, who she was married to, she's no longer under the law. She can now enter a new covenant. This is... This is what you have to understand if you're Jewish. Christ's death as your husband, as the son of man, he was your husband to the bride called Israel. Israel committed adultery. Just read the Old Testament if you don't believe it. And God had a better plan, but his plan included 
him dying on the cross, not just for our sins, which it was, but to also to release Israel and Jerusalem from the covenant of the law, so that they could therefore marry the resurrected Christ and not be in violation. You cannot have the law, you cannot be you cannot have two covenants. They're incompatible with each other. God does not have two wives. He has one wife. He will put away, he puts away Hagar. Okay. Are you getting it yet? Let's let's go to 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, that's wrong. Galatians, I think it is, 420. I, I've never I've never been anywhere where I've heard a pastor preach from this scripture. They don't like it. The reason they don't like it, they're afraid they're going to be called into semi. Again, I am not saying this because I'm against Jewish people. I'm saying this because I love you. And you can go for like one for Israel. And there's so many great Messianic believers in the Jewish um, uh, ethnicity, whatever you want to call it. I don't believe in races, so I believe we're all part of the human race. Um, and I don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in the difference. I, I understand the difference of ethnicity, but we're all the same race. God created Adam and Eve. We all came out of that. We all came out of Noah. So I'm not into this um, uh, having these race wars. I love Jewish people. Fifty percent of my friends growing up were Jewish. Absolutely love them. Uh, I don't know of any. I don't know if I've ever said I hate that group of people. I've had. I I tell you, I did not. I I tell you, I've hated people. You know, especially in my younger days. But I, I, I don't work in hate now. Like I, it's just not a good thing. But I hate sin. I hate evil. Um, but let's let's read this in um, Galatians four. I'm going to pull it up here, only because if I do, my head stays a little bit more uh, up the top to you. Versus uh, me always looking straight down, and it just looks better on camera. Um, listen to this. This is what Paul writes. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other of a, by a free woman. Okay, But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. You had Hagar and Sarah. Okay, Out of that you had Ishmael and Isaac. So one gave birth to a child of bondage, Hagar, to Ishmael, and one to a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. That's Isaac. Now, Jews understand this analogy, okay? They do. They understand that God chose Isaac over, over Ishmael, okay? Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai of Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, okay, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Okay, now, 
what does that say? Look, the natural Jerusalem does not inherit with the spiritual Jerusalem. Okay? So you have to understand, there's a natural Jerusalem, the one you see, the one you could go visit, and there's a spiritual Jerusalem. Those, whether you live in Israel or not, whether, if let's say you're Jewish and you live in Israel, but you believe in Christ, you are now not part of the natural Israel. You are now a citizen of the spiritual Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Okay? For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate have many more children than she who has a husband. In other words, there was a mocking part. There was a mocking part of the church. And, and now this verse is coming to pass where, believe it or not, Christianity has overtaken Judaism and, and Jewish. Okay. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he was born according to flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to spirit, even so it is now. This is what was happening in the first century. The, the flesh was pursuing those of the spirit. Now, this is very difficult if you're Jewish, and, and I get that. I want you to know, um, growing up Catholic, it wasn't as intense. But remember, in, in, in Catholicism or Roman Catholic Church, you have to be part of the Catholic Church to be saved. And um, which I no longer believe. OK, the scriptures don't say that. And so I want you to know that, like, I understand that breaking from what you have all been raised. Now, this is what I say again. I want you to hear me. I am not saying that you stop being Jewish. Please do not do that. It's who you are. But be saved in faith by faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the grace of God. And realize he fulfills the blood sacrifices, the turtle doves for trespasses. And, and he was perfect and righteous. And that when you receive him, okay, when you receive Christ, then you are, uh, you become that righteousness which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Um, I, wanna, I want you to read this. This is um, Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and i'm going to read out the passion translation just so i don't have to go into the words as much but let's read this yet god sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness clothed with humanity god gave god's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that god could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin not condemn you forever condemn sin itself so now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of Holy Spirit. Now, he's not saying that there is no law. He's not saying like, you know, when it comes to, you know, I mean, please stop. Don't commit adultery. You know, don't. Don't blow your marriage up. Don't, don't be a cheater, liar, murderer. Okay, those things are still, do not do, I, you know, the Ten Commandments are still valid. I mean, I'm still not supposed to covet my neighbor's house. Okay, I mean, that's still all valid. And, and people go, well, there's no law. No, remember, the law has been only done away with for righteousness sake. It has not been done away with to knowing right and wrong and how we should live our life. And if you're Jewish and you go to the synagogue, fine. But when it comes down to, hey, 
Yusuf, where do you get your righteousness from? I get it through Jesus Christ. I faith in him. It's not that I'm perfect, it's that he was the perfect one. My total faith is in his completed work. And God imputes righteousness to me as grace, not as works. And he grants it to me as if I did it. But I want to live my best life before God. And this is where a lot of Christians damage the cross and damage Christianity. is because they have this attitude that it doesn't matter anymore. No, it does matter. It does matter. It matters to him. It matters to the church. It matters to the person who's watching you, how you live your life. And I, I really don't like when we, when we do that. Okay. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you do not bear. Break forth and shout, you have no... Uh, not in labor for the destiny has many more children than she who has a husband now we brethren as isaac was our children of promise but as we as as he who was born according to flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now this is two thousand years ago nevertheless what does the scripture say cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman so then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, I want you to understand this. This is not for Jewish people or not for Gentile people. This is for all who believe. We all become the children of promise. Okay? And if, and if my desire is I'm going to prove my righteousness, I'm going I'm to walk and, and I'm going to obtain my righteousness through my works, the Torah it's not going to work because, you you know, I, I hear people who say that. Ben Shapiro's one who will say, well, I'm Jewish and I keep the law. But I go, well, I don't keep it perfectly. Well, Ben, what do you make up for it? Prayer. The, the law doesn't say prayer makes up for it. That's the problem. And that's why, listen, listen. That's why the blood of bulls and goats only covered sin for a year. It just stayed off the execution, but it didn't make them righteous. Every year, especially around this time of the fall feast, and you got into the uh, day of trumpets, which they blow the trumpets for a day. It's just a solemn. All the Bible says about it is you blow the trumpets and that's it. It's a day of solemn, uh, you know, a solemn assembly, but it doesn't say what to do. There's no feast. There's no sacrifice. Uh, people have moved Rosh Hashanah in there. Rosh Hashanah, by the way, it's not biblical New Year. The New Year is the first month, and that's fifteen. that begins 15 days before Passover. And I don't know why, but I, I don't want to get into it, but it actually comes out of Babylon, not out of the scriptures. And uh, the Jews call it the, well, it's the agricultural New Year. We had, They got that from Babylon. That was the Babylonian agricultural New Year. So that's, and by the way, the name Nisan and all those all come out of Babylon as well. God called the first month the first month. And that's why it says on the third month. And it would say that throughout scriptures. And that's really important to understand. Okay. I don't want you to become Christian in the sense I want you to have a Gentile lifestyle. But I do want you to become free from the, from, from trying to obtain your righteousness to living from righteousness through faith in Christ. And, you know, I would say this. Test me on this. Get down and pray every day and say, Father, if you are real and Jesus is your son, would you reveal him to me? And you just pray that every day and see if the Father is faithful. 
I know he is. You know, for two years, I was looking for who God was. And it started in January of 87. I was a mess, folks. I, I, um, I was a real mess. And my brother handed me a Bible. And um, he had one in a raffle. I don't even know if I have that one still. And um, I began to read it from, from front to back. I didn't, you know, start in the gospel. I started in the old time. I read through Leviticus. I read all the way that year through the Bible. And in 1988, now I met my wife three weeks after that. I started reading it. I got married. I'm reading it all of 1988. Uh, I get out of the Navy uh, and... It is not until December of 89 I give my life to Christ. I have read, I've been reading the Bible all the way through. I finished my third year all the way through in the end of 89. And I would read this. And I go, God, I don't understand. I literally go like this, God. But I was praying. I was praying the best I could. I never heard his voice. He never spoke to me. I was just, I would read it. And my wife knew I was reading it. And she would be like, oh, God, help him find you. You know, because she was a backslidden Christian, you know. And, and I would just be reading. I had no understanding of it, folks. And then I went to a stupid business meeting, and this young surfer dude is a multimillionaire, got up, and he he just gave a 30-second gospel, and and he gave it for me. There was about a 1,000 people in the room, but you know what? He gave it for me. He did. It was me. It was me that night. And I don't remember anything else said after that point. It was 30 seconds. And he talked about Jesus so quickly. And I remember me going, oh, that's, that's, that's him. Now, I grew up Catholic. You thought I would know it was Jesus. But the Jesus presented in the Catholic Church wasn't the saving Jesus. It was a Jesus you couldn't talk to. They didn't preach about faith in Christ. They preached more about faith in the Catholic Church. And I, and I sat there Monday after Monday, because it was a Monday night. That same day, I met a good friend of mine. We became good friends. He's a lawyer here in town. I met him that day on the golf course. And it was December 4th. It was on a Monday. And I I finally just said, okay, God, I don't know what to do. But me and my wife were visiting this Baptist church and trying to find where we fit because I was Catholic. She was Baptist. And we knew. It was funny. It's like we knew we had to go to church. Like, And thank God I didn't go into all the other cults and religions. I mean... Um, I, I wasn't that adventurous for some, I mean, I really look back at it and go, God, even in my sin and my wickedness, you guarded me and protected me. I could, I could see his hand in my life so amazingly. And, and I, I, I remember just sitting there on a Monday on the couch in our apartment. They got to know something up at that church. <laughs> And they did. And and Pastor Russ Cochran, who was the assistant pastor at the time, because the uh, head pastor was out of town, he, he he came and got me and brought me to the office and he shared the gospel with me and the simplest of the faith in Christ. And then he told me, this Bible, read it every day. It's the word of God. It's true. Boy, was he right. Greatest advice I ever received. I got baptized on December 6th. Got filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues about three months later. Um, about eight months after I got saved, my wife got saved. Um, my father-in-law that June, so we're talking about six and a half months after I, or seven months after I got saved, told me I was to preach. Um, and I did. Um, 
I think it was six months later. And then um, my wife, my wife then, like after that, after I started, I preached for him, Kathy then gave her life back to Christ because she said something happened to him that I, I don't think, I think her attitude was, I don't know if I experienced that level. Um, and then she gave her life to Christ and Christ started using us. See, I go back to that in my memory. I go, boy, what if I turned away from this one? Look, at here's what I want to tell you. God's loving, and he might give you 20 more chances, but he might not. This might be the last chance you get before you die. And I want you to know I'm not anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. We have our heritage in the Jews, in Israel, in the law, in the, in the Old Testament. Our heritage, I've been grafted in. But when something greater comes along, that actually makes me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can't turn away from that. I don't want you to either. Um, you can call him Yeshua, Yeshua, whatever you want. But you can't go, well, I believe there's going to be a Messiah. That doesn't work. You've heard it now. You've got to respond to it. And I, I just want to pray a really simple prayer because it's really not about the words you pray. It's about your heart. And... Um, that's why there's not a prayer of salvation in Scripture. God doesn't want formulas. He doesn't want, well, I prayed a prayer, I'm going to heaven. No, it's, the Bible doesn't say you pray a prayer, you go to heaven. It says you give your life to Christ. He gives you his life. And so, Father, right now, me and my friend here, we pray. We take a second just to pray. Father, forgive me for not giving my life earlier to your son and denying his existence. Cleanse me, Father. Receive me, Father. I believe your son is the son of man, the son of God, your son, the only begotten. And through his obedience on the cross and his fulfillment of all things, I put my faith in him. And I receive the grace of the new life in Christ given to me through faith. I thank you for it, Father. You're my God now. You're my God from this point on. And your son Jesus is my Lord and Savior. So, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Now, I do ask you to give me your Holy Spirit as that guarantee, as that down payment in my life. And do a work in me, Father, from this day forward that will bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, if you made it this far, would you do me a favor if you've actually prayed this prayer? Will you go ahead and put a comment down? Um, if you made it this far, it'd be great. And then... Because this is what I want to do. I might contact you directly and send you or give you a link to a free product of mine and teaching. And uh, you can go to lewisdcn.com, go into the store there, and you'll see a um, there's like the Kingdom Manifest. Uh, and you can just grab that. Or you can download um, the Gate Church of Jacksonville app. And um, I do have a, a simple uh, a thing on there called Foundations where you can... Um, just, just go in there. It says foundations and it just has about six, seven videos of just basic foundations to get you going. But let me know, cause I want to pray for you.
I want to pray for you daily. I want to lift you up in prayer. And and look, thank you. Thank you for coming to the faith. It's it's that important and it's that big. And I want you to know that I I I I love you enough to tell you the truth, even though it might upset you, but I love you enough to risk that so I can see you in heaven someday with me. God bless you, and you have a great day. Bye-bye.